I, I actually like challenge. I like things which are impossible. That's what gets me out of bed in the morning. This is Priya Prakash and welcome to Chapters of My Life podcast. Imagine you need to write your life story in form of a book already. What cover will you have? What table of content? Or what planned next chapters? So Chapters of My Life podcast is an inspiring collection of life transitions packed into a podcast audiobook format, capturing the willpower and belief of people doing important life-changing decisions. And in this audio conversation and podcast, we interview entrepreneurs, athletes, innovators, and idealists, giving an insight into their past life and work from young age till today, and maybe future plans. We're covering topics around entrepreneurship, mindfulness, sport, travel, nutrition, yoga, meditation, and much, much more. So pretty much everything which leads to the person they are here today. I had the pleasure to speak with Priya, founder of Design for Social Change. She expressed herself as designer, educator, speaker, and doer. And to be honest, all comes down to one point, working on solutions such as lifestyle, design and experience design concepts to enhance user experience to give back power to citizens. From her past work at Nokia as a UX designer for S40-60 platform, over BBC iPlayer, she uses design to enable users to create a better experience. And Changeify.org is another perfect example but she founded. It focuses more on citizenship, a neighborhood platform to give citizens the power to report problems on streets, in parks or in general public, direct to the government. And that isn't a surprise that she chose her book title. It called Being Human in a Machine Age. And she chose six chapters, which surprised me a little bit. She starts from the now, going backwards to the past. The first chapter called Now, where she talks a little bit more about the standards nowadays for citizen data. In the second chapter, she called it Human 2.0. Third chapter, Enhancing Customer Experience. The fourth is all about life transitions. Fifth is the creating technology or social systems for good. And the sixth is all about cheat sheets. In other words, how to find shortcuts to live in a machine age as Human 2.0. In her next life chapters, all she wants is to create standards for citizen data. And that isn't a surprise to me, because she is heavily focused on not just creating better user experience, but also giving back power to citizens. And that's why she also talks in front of the UN for AI for good. So how about we just start a podcast? I hope you enjoy it. All right, here we go. Hello. Thank you for taking the time, Priya. You're welcome, Daniel. Thank you very much. You're welcome. How are you? Great. Lovely to see you after a long time. A long time. Five years, actually. Half a decade. <laughs> half, half a decade, actually. I'm feeling very old now. <laughs> you have a beautiful home. Some of them see that actually on the picture. Thank you. Yeah, I'm very lucky. I love nature. And it's great to be surrounded by something bigger than yourself and be reminded each day. Yeah, I think that's very important. I have a question mm -hmm. before I dig deeper a little bit into, you know, the life transitions, your past life, the chapters, what the book title could look like, uh, sound like, uh, the cover look like. I saw on Insta uh, on on uh, LinkedIn. Yeah. 
short description about you. Yeah. You describe yourself as AI, smart cities, founder of Design for Social Change, designer, educator, speaker, endure. What aren't you? <laughs> well, it's probably me trying to explain to my mom what exactly I do and then making it specific enough so people understand different things I actually do. So just saying you are a designer or a thought leader or you're a speaker, sometimes you just have to spell things out. And if you're involved in systems design change, you look at everything as a systemic, like from all the different layers of complexity. And that's why you need to do a bit of everything if you want to change a system. You need to be able to learn yourself. You need to be able to teach others. You need to be able to do stuff. You need to be able to inspire other people. Only through all of these things can you actually create change. So you would say it's kind of a combination of all of them. All of them are kind of a part of the recipe. Correct. For all of this. So when you tell me a little bit more about the speaker part, or the educator part, where would you see yourself in there? Sure. So what would you like to educate? What do you want to do you like to talk about? I think for me, educa education is really important because that's how people grow. And the teacher grows more sometimes than the student because it's through teaching that you learn. So Richard Feynman uh, was quite a famous uh, physicist and scientist, said that if you want to learn anything really quickly, you have to explain something so simply as if you're explaining to a child. Only then you yourself will understand the concept. And when I started my company, uh, D4SE, Designed for Social Change, I was doing everything very much from experiment, trial, error. And I learned through all those experiments that others were interested in making a similar kind of change by using their neighborhood as a lab. I could probably share some of my insights. And that actually went into going back to my uh, old school, Royal College of Art, teaching the MA students there from information design on how to use Elephant Castle as a lab in order to improve some of the issues around regeneration. So I've always tried to see to my best capability, whether it's whatever I've learned, I'm able to pass it on. Yeah. And the very first time I met you, I remember was, I think, Impact Hub, Westminster. Yes. Th or was it one of the, in Islington, in London? I think, One yeah. of the meetings? Yes, um, you're right, yeah. Good memory, Daniel. Very good, yeah. I wrote down everything. <laughs> <laughs> and I realized the first time I met you, your energy, mm -hmm. you transfer to others. And I looked into your uh, online uh, LinkedIn profile. That's also what other people say. Mm -hmm. So um, I got a comment from someone who says, like, what always struck me during that time is the enormous positive energy that she brings to everything she does. From Charlie Sutton, from Design Director at Facebook. Mm -hmm. That energy you bring on the meeting, on the, in the work you put on. Is that something where people give you as feedback as well? Or is that something where you realize that's in you? That's usually, that's who you are. A very energetic, energetic person, full of passion. I think, uh, yeah, I guess my, somebody would call that like... <laughs> ADD, but I think I have a lot of <laughs> I have a lot of uh, energy, which probably can be focused a lot more. But I think that's a compliment. And coming from some of the colleagues I worked in the past, I I actually like challenge. I like things which are impossible. That's what gets me out of bed in the morning. Okay, what doesn't get you out of the morning then? Oh well, what doesn't get me out of bed in the morning is when it's cold weather and it's raining, and you know, perfect place to be, and then in London. <laughs> 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 or you have to have extra resilience to deal with it. No, but I think what I think 
I don't like every every other day to be the same. That's why I think working in a corporate environment and just doing a nine to five, which doesn't exist anymore, or being in situations which are full of politics and you know those kind of very stressful environments. I like each day where you feel like you are designing your day and you have the agency to actually design the day around the kind of things you were talking about earlier. How do I learn something new every day? Of challenging yourself and pushing yourself. So seeing challenges as a way also to learn. Exactly. Like if I see some of my plants here, it can be challenging. A rubber tree growing in a cold place in London, but then the rubber tree grows. You know. So I think you have to sometimes be hardy and be resilient, and you can be in a new environment, but then you adapt to it as well. Yeah, I remember five years ago when we met in uh, Camberwell. Correct. Camberwell. Um, we went for a run. Yeah. I remember very well you said, um, I think it was early afternoon or in the morning, mm -hmm. you said, let's go out for a run. I'll show you around. And I found it very fascinating. It was not just a run, it, it was kind of a sightseeing tour. It was a sightseeing tour around Camberwell where you showed me the location for running, mm -hmm. but with lots of energy. Mm -hmm. Showed me around, but you also showed me what are the pitfalls, you know, in that area. Mm -hmm. So. Are you usually a person who is showing people around to show them also what are the problems in their environment um, to highlight this to other people? I think I am inspired, Daniel, by different things. Like some people design for the symptoms. I like to design for the cause. The cause, and that's what systems design for me is. It's like going to the root cause of how a problem is created. So if I'm looking at my neighborhood and if somebody is challenging and saying, oh, you know, how many betting shops are there? Why is there no fresh uh, produce? Why is the roads in bad condition? Instead of just moaning about the fact that there is, uh, you know, austerity and there's no money in the city council, I like to really understand what is the root cause. So many people look at the symptoms, but I think um, system designer has to look at the causes. And once you go like, you know, Alice in Wonderland through the rabbit hole of understanding the cause, then you start questioning certain popular criticism or ideas. And mm -hmm. I think that's why you need to almost have a childlike curiosity if you want to really learn even about in a familiar environment. Because if you all pretend we know all the answers, we're never going to learn or try something new. And it's going to be boring in other ways as well. Exactly. Yeah. And I think this is the challenge in many of the projects that we are working in the social change space, in the social entrepreneurship space, because people talk a lot about wicked problems, but they also talk about theory of change. And I think there's a lot of talk and sometimes you just have to do. So going on a run with you mm. five years ago was easier for you to experience than me doing some blah, blah about talking about my neighborhood. So you're seeing it literally live, the problem, and you're just talking about it. I see think, and experience the problem. Exactly. Yeah. You experience the problem, you experience also some of the opportunities. So in the Chinese language, the, the character for opportunity and crisis is the same. So there is no difference between problem and opportunity in Chinese. Yeah. And I think that's why if you take somebody for a walk in your neighborhood and you want to improve the area where you live in, people will see different things. And you might see other things. And by having that conversation, you learn something new about something which you didn't see yourself. So when I summarize this, uh, we haven't talked about the chapters at all, we will start now. Um, how would you start? The, what would be the title of your book? Sound like? Um, would it be curiosity? Would it be um, energy? What would it be? 
I think sound like. I think for me, what is really um, key in all my work is is this idea of being humane, not just human, but humane as well. So it's about being human in a machine age is the title I selected because having designed quite some different, I don't design products and services, I des design habits and behaviors in retrospect, you know, designing on the first version of iPlayer where I have the patents now and now if I see how people catch up, you don't design a platform technology, you design a habit and behavior where you move people from sitting around the family table and watching TV together by watching alone by themselves. At that time as a designer, you don't think about the effect of your design. So you have to be very careful, like if you design the car, you design the car accident. So how do you design a better car accident? Same when you're designing mobile phones, when I was designing Nokia phones for making it affordable in emerging markets. Now everybody's on their phone on the street, people don't talk to each other. Again, as a social responsibility of a designer, you think, what monster have I created? So we have to be careful many times when we are enamored by certain problems that we are solving, that we might be creating other social problems that we are unaware of. So my title of my book is Being Human in a Machine Age, because I think being human, there are so many qualities. And we can talk about that from a spiritual perspective, from a social, from economic, from an art, creative perspective. But I think for us to really live our full human potential and not just expect artificial intelligence or machines to kind of keep supporting us, if you talk about really like abundance and fulfilling your potential, we have to be even more human and we have to even hack ourselves so that we can go further than what technology can go. So when I just listen to that title, I see myself, I see actually a picture of a human and a robot. <laughs> For some reason, I don't know why. Is the human controlling the robot or is the robot controlling the human? Or what, what would be the cover look like? What is the illustration? I think Maybe it's a completely different one. So this is <laughs> it's quite interesting. I thought about this when you mentioned it earlier. So if you think about machine, machine has been there since the agricultural age, like, you know, the plow was considered to be a machine and it could be seen as a robot in the agricultural times. Same, we have Charlie Chaplin's, you know, industrial age, the great dictatorship. So there has been different stages of technology and in different ages. And because of that, people's uh, society changes, uh, multiple things around people's habits and behaviors and cultures change. I think what I'm talking about being human in a machine age is that machines have not gone. Machines have been there for centuries. It's just that the kind of machines we are creating is slightly more different. We're giving it intelligence, we're giving it agency. So my cover title, I am a big fan of um, like collective intelligence, which is basically things coming together like the starling in a murmuration. You know, these birds apparently don't have that much kind of planning when they put a murmuration, which is many of these birds coming together and creating this beautiful dance. They do it by following the flow of the wind and also by following each other. So being human in a machine age would be for me, if you can imagine like in the future, you would have like drones and starlings doing this kind of dance together, but in a way whereby it's almost like music. So it's, it's, it's just a way of a continuum of that feeling of being collective, sharing that moment, but the machine and human together make it better. A combination, both. It's a hybrid, yeah. It's a hybrid, kind of hybrid version. Okay. Yeah. Who would you recommend reading your book? <laughs> Great. <laughs> you I, know, you have in the, in the library, you have a children's section. You have an adult section. You yeah. have for, a section for athletes. You have a section for entrepreneurs or history parts. What? Who, well, who would you recommend reading your book um, before we dig into the chapters I, or where would you place it in the library? 
I would place it in the section of um, basically uh, atheists and non-believers. Interesting. Because okay. I believe that um, these are probably, I think the single most problem we face in the world is human apathy when you don't care for other people or other things, the environment, and you just continue. So I think if you're able to convince atheists or people who have got apathy who, are, who don't believe in something which is a higher order intelligence, and I'm not talking religious God, I'm talking about intelligence to its own capacity, mm -hmm. then we just end up having dogma. We have dogma across various fields. We'll have religious dogma, we'll have social dogma, we have you know military dogma style. So basically, my book is meant for people who basically have given up on humanity and believe that the answer lies in technology. It's for those technology-first, skeptical people that I'd like to dedicate this book. I think especially nowadays, it's a huge problem. I mean, you see the, the issues of global, uh, globalization, different countries, different you know, regulations, etc. Exactly. Politic aspects. Um, I remember very well... Um, the huge concerns from the political side, from the government side of things as well, when it comes to regulation, when it comes to artificial intelligence, um, the fear of not regulating it. Mm. And that might cause some fear also from the other side, mm. or consumer, and things are out of control. Yes. But that was always the case with every technology, and Working in this field, sometimes I feel people are projecting a lot of dystopian ideas before actually understanding what exactly is going on. It's a bit like, you know, you're like a, a chef in the kitchen and you're scared about your food processor or you're scared about, you know, sometimes, I mean, it's not really a like to like comparison because a food processor can now make its own cake recipes. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't. Would be awesome, actually. Yeah, be awesome. You push but, a button, you have an app, you're remote. Yeah, but the thing minutes. is, then what are you going to do sitting there for half an hour, you know, getting lazy and getting fat? But I think, I think the <laughs> idea of, that's exactly, <laughs> I think the idea for humans to be humans is about creativity and being able to make and build and do stuff, not just give it, outsource it to just the machines or somebody mm. else, an app. And I think this is where I'm talking about human 2.0. How do we actively become better people? And unless we are able to become better people, no technology is going to save us. Yeah, remember that last week a colleague of mine told me that just a matter of time we were potentially robots are hiring humans and this is actually interesting when you see that picture robots actually hiring humans and not the other way around as you say humans 2.0 where the humans actually are in control come better humans and just use the technology as more a supportive hand mm -hmm. um when i dig a little bit deeper now into that and i open your book mm -hmm. what do i see do I see the table of content? Or what do you see first? You uh, probably... A trademark? Don't copy it? <laughs> <laughs> no, you probably see um, a dedication to my uh, family uh, who basically brought me up to challenge systems. Is that the first chapter as well? Is no, it's the more... the first chapter when, when I open the second... When I uh, flip the page and I go through the table of content and the first chapter... That's about. So if I if I look at my life, somehow each chapter uh, has seven years where there have been like key changes, whether from seven to fourteen to twenty-one to thirty-five to forty-two, which is what I'm writing. Awesome. Now. So every seven. 
every so seven, seven years is like okay, <laughs> so i probably have currently where it stands i have six chapters and i would start the book from present to past because it's about what is happening right now and then how it goes back to the roots of where it started from ah so you're not going to start actually from when you, when, you, when you were born and you're, when you got raised up, actually from the current present. Yeah, so I like to see films as well, like Le Fans. Yeah, backwards. <laughs> and I'm very impatient. So I also like to read books at the end. <laughs> so I, I quite like this idea of time being backwards and forwards, not linear, but you can jump around and you can reflect and go back and forward. And it's a, quite a funny, it's actually, um, you know, uh, Godard was a French uh, film director, came up with a jump cut, which is a whole different way of seeing films. So I think in that way, I'm very much a jump cut person. I, would, I always admire people who start reading newspaper or magazines from the end to the beginning, beginning. actually. It's actually very interesting. It's a funny one. I wonder what it says about the person. <laughs> you want to know how it all ended and how it actually all started from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you say the first chapter is about going from the present to the past. Mm -hmm. What would you call? Well, that's just saying what about what would you say. What is it? What would we? What is the chapter's name? So uh, the chapter to the future. No, back to the past. <laughs> I don't think it's about going back to the past because it's not about reflecting. It's more about, like I said, it's not like backwards, forwards. It's more like starting from present day moment and. Like I talked about jump cut, it's about reflecting, going back and forward from the past to present and even the future in a way, because I think starting in the present helps you to almost, if you think about time, you know, the X, Y, Z axis, you can kind of reflect the past, you can reflect the future. So, you know, uh, I think, what's his name? Eckhart uh, Tolle uh, speaks a lot about being present at, in the moment. And I hate to call myself a futurist, and I hate to call myself a traditionalist into the past. I really believe in the present. It's about now. And that's why I would like to start the chapter of the book with now. And if needed, go into the past, but it's all about understanding the present moment. And the second chapter, when I read the first chapter, learn a little bit more about the present. Yeah, I think the second chapter will be very much about uh, understanding what kind of everyday activities you do as a human can make you a better human. So what are the rituals in your life, which can, you know, either bring you up, bring you down, make you happy. It's also celebrating those moments. If you think about, you know, time as a linear and we are where we are right now, there are certain everyday things that one does, which can uh, basically people call that habits and behaviors, but it's also a certain kind of discipline that you give to yourself, which can turn us as a better human or can turn us as a worse human. So it's really about trying to understand from your childhood or from your present adulthood what are those habits and behaviors you want to take and what are the ones you want to get rid of. So when you're designing uh, technology systems, software systems, social systems, you're very aware about the habits and behaviors you're creating as well. You mentioned childhood and moments and some behaviors you want to get rid of, which behavior from your childhood you got rid of and which you kept. <laughs> That's a very good one. I think, um, yeah, I probably would need to spend a lot more time reading off this whole, like I said, uh, idea of getting attracted to lots of different things. I guess my curiosity factor as a child has not changed. It's still, I'm still remain a pretty curious person. I think the one thing I would mm, change is probably like 
I don't know. I wish I think somebody else has to probably see me now to be able to come up with that. Maybe you know somebody who knows me from a long time. But I would say the I haven't really wanted to get rid of something from my childhood. I've been very very grateful and lucky to have an amazing. How would childhood. you describe yourself when you were a child? When you know, from now back, were you? How would you? Yeah, yeah. How would you describe yourself when you remember? I, how were you? Yeah, I think I from your own perspective. My own perspective, I used to be quite an introvert. I used to love playing alone by myself, you know, climbing trees. I like to spend a lot of time by myself. At the same time, I was quite social. I could be with a bunch of people, but I think I learned a lot more when I was just bored out of my mind. There was no iPad in those days. There was nothing. You just had to like, you know, I would sit and eat mud. That was how bored I was in India. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the most natural way to learn and be resistant from any bugs out there. Yeah, they probably uh -huh. had permanent worms. But no, I, I think, um, yeah, uh, spending time alone by yourself and being comfortable in your own skin when you're very young and not feeling you're alone is something I would wish more children had that capacity. This constant idea that you need to be supervised or you need to have some kind of a game or some iPad or some video, you know, I think we are creating a whole generation of very distracted people. And I think to focus is so important. So I think ch childhood was a lot about focusing on one or two things. So you mentioned you were um, born in India, Mumbai. When, how long, how, ma how many years did you spend there? I was in India uh, till I was like, uh, Pretty much in my early 20s. I did spend a short time. My father was working in Kenya, so we were in Africa, but that was a short time. But my parents took me to traveling a lot in the Far East and stuff, so I've been exposed to other countries. But I came to the UK in 99 on a scholarship to study at Royal College. I had also got a place in MIT at Media Lab as well, but I was very interested in traveling around Europe and being the interrail and learning all the different languages, so I was very excited to come to London. That's where you catch that little bit German as well? <laughs> <laughs> that part? Oh, no way. Well spotted, no. Uh, funny enough, uh, this sounds really odd. Germany and Austria and Switzerland. No, because when I was in India, we were studying, I was studying French and my sister was studying German and my mother would not allow us to swear in English. So we started swearing in French and German. So I would say Scheiser <laughs> since I was like, what? 1914 and my sister would say Mert. So I'm used to swearing in foreign languages. So your German language is not um child friendly it's not child friendly <laughs> and it's definitely influenced by yeah other things <laughs> okay um you mentioned you have six chapters yes and the third chapter is that third chapter would that start here in the uk was it because you said it's seven years as 14 yeah so i think teenage it would, age yeah so probably so if i start from Now to like, you know, seven years ago and then my time at Nokia and my time at BBC, that's an interesting time because that was when um, I didn't have a TV and worked on the first version of iPlayer and same, I wanted to design a better mobile phone for my mom. So I think those were like interesting times in my, in my uh, 30s. And I would say that the third chapter is pretty much in my 20s when I was going to go and uh, actually started Early 30s, late 20s, I started my first company called Digital Wellbeing Labs, uh, Coruscom, funded by Nesta, which is the National Endowment Society Technology and Arts uh, charity here in the UK. And um, 
that was an interesting time. We started the first digital lifestyle store on the shop at Bluebird in Chelsea and learning how to create digital lifestyles before the time of iPhone and Facebook was quite fascinating of bringing fashion, technology, art together and creating like lifestyle collections. What time? What, uh, what year was it? That was 2004. Four, yes. Uh, 2004, 2006, yeah. Came. And um, all of those things, Daniel, just helped me kind of understand literally this idea of build, creating or designing something and making it part of your everyday life. Because when you buy a washing machine, it becomes part of your life, whether you like mm -hmm. it or not, even though you don't want to give it so much of importance. And I think la uh, lifestyle has got a lifestyle design and how understanding experience design when you're trying to do social change stuff. It's quite useful to be starting from those kind of spaces and then moving towards much more, I would say, purpose-driven spaces. When you see your customers, the customers who used your product, you yeah. mentioned Nokia, uh, iPlayer, mm -hmm. what do you want to see when the customer uses your product? What, would it, what do you want them to remember? Um, I think, like I they, said, I wanted them to remember not the product, but the experience they had experience. while using it. So with iPlayer, it was more about the convenience of not having to program this horrible VCR to catch yes. up on EastEnders. And with Nokia <laughs> phones, it was about making the whole smartphone experience really simple so you don't have to be an Android geek to use it. So it's more about accessibility and universal design where people who don't feel they need to be a, a developer or a programmer or a techie can also consume and, and, and at the same time shape the technology that they're using every day rather than the other way around. When I look a little bit more in the chapters, mm -hmm. a little bit more dig deeper into the chapters, were there any life changes, unexpected life changes in this first three chapters? Oh, totally. Something which like turned around 360. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think there's quite a few. I mean, last year and a half has been quite crazy because my house caught fire. I moved out of the house. I've been for 15 years. I kind of also separated my ways with my husband and I started living by myself again, even though I'd lived alone by myself a long time. And after being together with somebody for 17 years and moving away, it's been quite quite fascinating to just you know start your life from scratch again so it's almost um yeah it's been quite a interesting time of becoming back to priya the child alone in the garden and learning to be alone what do you say when when you're starting from scratch or when you're starting not from what you have built does it also give you references this this some kind of does it give you energy also or does it give you the feeling that you're not settled? Mm -hmm. That you feel like, I always grow, I always learn something new, and I don't feel satisfied with what I have? Because when you, have, when you build something, at some point, you get to a situation that you say, okay, I have achieved that. But when you start from scratch, or when you start different chapter, different part, you're always on the, you can always learn something new. Yeah. That's something what you would say also, but last That's three years, maybe. Excellent question, Daniel. I think, because I was so focused, I guess, on, on DeForestie and Changeify my work, and I think now it's more about also trying to bring the personal life, the work life, everything much more holistic together. Um, yes, you know, people say you need to disrupt yourself, you need to reinvent yourself, but I don't think nature works like that. Like a 
plant is not disrupting itself and reinventing itself. It's adapting and it's growing. I think I read this beautiful thing uh, from Tarkovsky. Uh, Andre Tarkovsky is a famous filmmaker, so you know where my influences come from. Uh, he mentioned that the worst thing that can be is for somebody to be really hard and rigid because that's how a dead body is. If you want to really grow in life, you have to be like, you know, supple and weak because then you're like a plant. You can adapt yourself. So same ways, I think it's important um, in one's life just because you ship another product or you buy a house or you have a car or you go for a holiday. That's your bucket list. But I think the bucket list approach has been a lot of studies now. Psychologically, a bucket list does not make you happy. It actually makes you feel even worse because you feel like the time is it's like the FOMO thing, your fear of missing out. You feel you haven't finished all the items in your bucket list. I think the most sustainable way, given how technology is moving, we might even live up to 155 years. We don't know. So we need to be thinking in the ultra runner marathon style of not just getting one more dopamine hit by doing one more product, but trying to see what is it that makes me contented and happier over a longer time. And that's where I also feel when you're starting your business, instead of being like a crash burn startup, you do your series A, series B, get funded, sell your company. I think that's not sustainable because you're burning yourself. You're burning your personal life. You need to find a way where you can keep up. And that's what I like what you're doing as well with your own personal uh, reflections of, you know, improving your mind, improving your body so you become more resilient to do the kind of business you need to do. Yeah, I see that more. Uh, very similar, actually, what you said, like soft skills. Soft skills, which you can use now and any setback, you just, you know, you see that you have learned that and mm -hmm. you can not fall uh, down mm -hmm. to the very ground. When we look a little bit more into chapters now, we have two chapters left. Actually, three, four, five, and six, right? When I count that correctly. <laughs> Where would be Changeify.org? Changeify, which you founded, mm -hmm. a startup, which is under your company, Designed for Social Change. Uh, when did you start Designed for Social Change? And when did you start Ch Changeify.org? And is it already is this part of the chapter four? Um, yeah, I mean... The, the idea and some of the concepts around um, where Changeify comes from, I think even before I formally started the platform way back by starting these neighborhood hacks, by giving people a piece of chalk and walking around in 2012, I already had some ideas about uh, civic action and agency. There was a, a platform in BBC called ICANN, which I, would, I was quite uh, grateful to work with, with a bunch of really amazing people like Matt Jones and others who are now in Google, and it was all about helping people to give this idea of citizenship, not citizenship and tradi traditional citizenship, but how to be a good neighbor by taking civic action. And it was very much in those days campaign-led and activist-led. And I think in my own um, travels, when I was traveling across uh, emerging markets and other places, I noticed that the resilient communities are ones which are really learning and depending on each other. So Changeify is probably goes back to, I would say, chapter two or chapter one, because I'm going back to some of those values I have from my own community coming from India. Um, there was a really great TED talk where this lady said that ultimately you live longest, not because of exercise or eating properly or, you know, um, any kind of body enhancement. It's the social capital that people have between each other. And I can Say, if I go back to my own grandmother who ended up living till 96, you know, she wasn't sitting and doing Pilates and yoga and stuff. She used to run behind buses in Mumbai. 
but she had a very strong social infrastructure. And I say social means neighbors knew her, shopkeeper knew her, she would live alone, and everybody around her cared for her and she would care for them. Mm. And because of that, there's a level of independence and you can live for alone for a much longer time. And I think this is something I find very interesting is once you create, by using tools like Changeify, a neighborhood where people care about things that matter to them and they feel they have the power to be able to celebrate that or make a difference, then automatically you feel you belong and that becomes part of your identity. You, don't, you can feel home in any city because you feel welcome enough to become part of that social infrastructure. Mm. Can yeah. you quickly explain what actually is Changeify or how it works? Sure. So Changeify it was, uh, started as a prototype and a, and a platform for people to be able to take a photo of something they see when they're walking down the street in order to improve it or to celebrate it and get others around them to say yes, yay or nay. It's quite stupid and simple, nothing great or bombastic, but it was very much starting from this naive idea of bottom-led uh, kind of, you know, uh, change. And slowly we were doing lots of different uh, workshops in each neighborhood where we would invite people to go on a walk. And we realized that by only having change coming from the bottom, you could not affect the system. So that was the first realization slash failure of why we'd not progress is we had to really work with the, the city system if you want to improve the city. For example, if the roads are unsafe, because I was a cyclist and I had a cycle accident and I kind of had a bad thing with a pothole. I could not fix the pothole outside my street, no matter how many Facebook posts I would put. So that was the starting point? No, it was, idea, the starting point started from there, but then I started to do these neighborhood hacks, like I said, I see, yeah. uh, and call it the change of our walks. But then I realized very quickly that it had to work with the system infrastructure of the city in order to make a systemic change rather than just, uh, oh, let's all go and, you know, do urban gardening kind of stuff. So Changeify became much more integrated with the way the city works. So it, it's, it's an application protocol interface, which is called API. It's a thing that talks in two systems. So it integrates with the back end of the city operations. And basically, if Daniel is walking down in uh, Dubai and he sees something which, like, say the roads are not working well, he can basically take a photo and his system, because Smart Dubai would be working together, um, his, his photo will be integrated with a voting algorithm where other people who also agree with Daniel can say, yes, we think Daniel's onto something about improving this dodgy roundabout. But meanwhile, the city's operations, which is run by Smart Dubai, can also get the real-time kind of comments and feedback, uh, not just from Daniel, but also the CCTV, the sensors. So it's about using that machine and human intelligence to prioritize what needs to be improved and helping decision making. Also giving feedback to the government. Two way feedback. Exactly. exactly, two ways actually important. Yeah. Um, help me a little bit. What would be in the last chapters? What would be in the last chapters? Uh, yes, the last chapters. Are there more? Because you're talking about the first chapters going from the present to the past. Are I think the last, last chapters yeah. are basically going to be a lot more about. Um, Things which are like uh, aha moments or reflections, which will basically be like, you know, things which can interlink. It's like a wormhole, interlink the present, the past and the future. So if you think about, I've been thinking a lot about, you know, what makes somebody get older or get wiser. I think it's by having certain kind of things that happen to you and they become like uh, driving principles of what you decide to do and not to do. So 
I would like to create the last chapter as a cheat sheet of how to be a better human. So basically, it's like a life hack. Can you see it as a life it's hack? It's actually, a, a, <laughs> a, I have it here for you. It's a cheat sheet because basically, um, in most uh, cases, there is this whole saying, I'm just trying to bring it up here. I very quickly need to uh, unlock my phone to get it. So there is this great um, author who was talking about uh, how specialization is for insects. And he says, this is what it is to be a human. And, sorry. That's life Have on a look. podcast <laughs> using latest technology. Okay, so Heinlein. <laughs> Specialization is uh, for insects. A human being should be able to change a diaper, plan an invasion, butcher a hog, con a ship, design a building, write a sonnet, balance accounts, build a wall, set a bone, comfort the dying, take orders, give orders, cooperate, act alone, solve equations, Analyze a new problem, pitch manure, program a computer, cook a tasty meal, fight efficiently, die gallantly. Specialization is for insects. And that's from Robert A. Heinlein. And I think this is amazing because it very much will be the last chapters because to do each of those things, no machine or robot can do them because you have to create different levels of intelligence. But a human being is amazing. We are got the capacity in us to do all this and even more. But that's why I love the work of what you're talking about, soft skills as well, is unless we're able to appreciate some of that, we are not going to be able to do all these things. And even though I looked at the phone right now to remember this saying, and I should technically have known it at the top of my head, we are, as humans, should be able to like extend ourselves whether it's by, you know, going for that run every morning, doing that yoga meditation, sharpening our mind, sitting alone somewhere and just reflecting rather than constantly reacting and posting. I think it's about trying to go back to the first principles. And I think then we will be able to survive any kind of AI, machine intelligence, robotic age, because we'll be working together in collaboration. You mentioned something interesting, this reacting. And I think this is 99% of the daily life routine for many people. We're reacting. We're reacting to posts. We're reacting to feed messages. We're reacting to notifications. Yeah. I mean, not acting. We're reacting. We're reacting. And actually, and this is why, like I said earlier, when I designed the phone, I don't feel quite proud now because, you know, we have designed addictive products, which gives a dopamine hit. Yeah. And every two minutes, you need to check on WhatsApp or Facebook whether somebody has liked your post because. And that is going to have a real bad effect sometimes as well on younger people because they don't have a concept of self. The self yeah. is only being built by other people's appreciation of yourself. So I think, like I said, we, we have to be very careful on how we can take our human self and also become resilient by finding those characteristics which can protect us from our own self, but also make us worthy opponents or worthy collaborators of machines and artificial intelligence. I realized in the last three years when, when you actually observe yourself, that's a skill what not many have, you know, um, how many notifications I get, how many emails. So I got in the habit of like becoming a minimalist on my mobile phone. True. Uh, daily inbox is empty and actually only subscribing to emails, if at all, very, very few to minimize exactly. email. 
actually have face-to-face conversation like this now. Perfect. And so yeah. I completely agree with you. So there's three things that changed me. So on a spiritual level, I went for Vipassana, which is a meditation course started by Goenkaji, and that really helped me kind of address some of those key life stage, life stage moments. And that's really about being present and observing yourself. Um, the second thing uh, that really helped me a lot as well is reading this concept of Danshari, which is a Japanese way for minimalism. So like after my house caught fire and it made me really think about what mattered and what didn't matter. And I let go many things in my life. And now I probably have just plants everywhere. As you notice, I don't need much to feel happy. As long as I have plants, I'm fine. And then the third thing on a technical level, there are a couple of things like this freedom, which is an application to reduce your distraction. And even like roll it up, which is uh, unroll.me, which is a way to get rid of all the extra emails and subscriptions. I think if you're able to get rid of that daily noise and clutter from our mind, then we are able to focus on the right things, which is like having a face-to-face conversation. Exactly. So in the end, I would click, quickly cover what you're currently working on. Sure. What's your current projects? So um, I'm quite excited. I'm really, finally, it's all coming together. And I've just finished right now a project, very interesting project, which was looking at ethics of data in smart cities, where I've been working with Arup and Future Cities Catapult to come up with what would, um, in the future cities or even current smart city demonstrators, what does ethics play a role? So I've been reading, funnily enough, Aristotle and Neomachian ethics to go back to first principles. I've uh, been selected, uh, D4SE has been selected as one of the 10, 15 top uh, urban tech startups to pitch in SF Bridge, which is in San Francisco, to like all the top uh, American cities. We're really looking to see if we can move into the US, and that will happen in May. And coming up, Giving, been invited to give a talk at the UN for AI for Good, which is for the ITU standards. So I'm also work as a standard for British uh, as an author for British Standards Institute to create standards around data and citizen data. So, and then finally, I might be there might be a chance for me to be in Berlin and spend some time with some former colleagues there as well on, on an interesting project. And that's something that's under wraps. Nice, very nice. A lot of traveling involved. A lot of traveling in different cultures and different like uh, regulations as well over technology comes to smart city. Definitely. Yeah. Um, where can we find more information about you? Oh, definitely. You can go to d4sc.io, which is the company website. You can find um, find me or find us on Twitter, which is at Priascape, all one word, or d4sc, or at the rate changeify.org. Right. Quick recap. From the book, mm-hmm. what would be the summary be like in the end? That what would it say when I just grab your book, see that cover, I look in the table of content, I see the book cover there. Then what would it say? The summary. What would this, be? What would be the summary of all these seven, uh, six chapters? I, I think the summary would be like uh, no endings, only new beginnings. So basically, in every film, there's a love fair in French style, which says the end. And I think there is no end, only beginning. And in one lifetime, you can have several, you know, reincarnation of yourself. You can give birth to your own self. Because really, you know, many people say 
like, you know, how many Daniels are there by now? There'll probably be 10 different Daniels, not because you're split personality, but you've changed yourself. So I think that's why my summary, be, being human in the machine age, how many new people can you be in one life, lifetime? Perfect. Thank you, Raya. You're welcome. Is there any copyright for your book story? Anything you don't want to copy or actually want other people to copy? I want everybody to copy as much as possible. <laughs> okay, perfect. So copy-free book. Thanks, Briar. Thank you so much for the time. You're um, this is more a shorter version of podcast, so perfect for lunchtime. Uh, thanks for taking the time. Mm -hmm. And I will share everything on social media. No worries. And all the very you. best. I love what you're doing as well. It's quite inspirational seeing you and hearing about what you've been doing in Dubai and Beirut and hope we get to run together for the Beirut Marathon. It's actually a must have. Yes, we should run together. That would be great. A full marathon. Proper marathon. A proper marathon for yes. the 2K. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. That sounds Definitely. like a good plan. Awesome. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Take care. How was it? Pretty amazing, isn't it? So I found it really interesting that Pryor always emphasizes on giving back power to citizens, either through user experience design or to enhancing specific tools to give them direct communication to entities. Her book definitely aims for people giving up on humanity, living in a new machine age. So what do you think of this podcast? Please leave some comments. What did you like most from this podcast? Which chapters of other entrepreneurs, athletes or idealists do you want to hear in the near future? Leave a comment or drop me a message on social media. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at ByDanielLudwig. I see you next time. Never give up, always look up.